Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 11 as we're continuing in our teaching series on the parables of Jesus. Before I preach, uh, I'm going to show a quick two-minute video. I had a, earlier this week, I had a, a conversation with Nancy Crane, who leads our women's prayer ministry. I wanted her to come and share a little bit about that, but she couldn't be here this week. And because we're going to be preaching on, I'm going to be teaching on prayer this morning, I decided that we would have a Zoom uh, interview, and I'm going to play that, and then I'm going to bring the Word of God. Well, Nancy, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to meet with me this morning. Um, most, I think most everybody knows who you and Charlie are in the church, but just in case they don't, you guys have been covenant members with us from the very beginning. You and Charlie have definitely taken the gifts that God has given you and used them to bless our church family. Since I'm going to be preaching on prayer today, I wanted to take some time and let you share some things with our congregation. Since you're leading, you've been leading the women's prayer team for, I mean, it's coming upon two and a half years. Now, I was really surprised when you said that. I hadn't realized it was that long at all. Well, we meet on, on Zoom at seven o'clock on Monday night. It's handy because it's exactly one hour. It's one hour out of your time. You get on and we pray. And we've just got a list of things that we go through and we go to the Father and just say, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to praise you for who you are. What if somebody, you know, wants to be a part of the prayer team, but they're too afraid to, to be a part of it? What would you say to them? Can you talk to me? Can you talk to God? I'm not eloquent. I, I don't didn't come to, to this role because I'm a great prayer. We've got a mighty God and he's a good God, he's powerful. And he, you know, we, we want to lay these things before him. We want to talk with him, we want to praise him. You, you learn by doing and you learn, I think James, by knowing that God answers prayer. If you don't pray much, my guess is that you haven't seen God answer prayer. At least for my own self, that's what changed me, was when I started just writing down in a journal my prayer requests. And, and then I'd go back and check off when, when they'd been answered. And it was like, wow, I, I'd forgotten. Now I'd pray, look, and look what he did. We've got to see that when we speak, we really know he listens. And if we don't see an answer right now, we can trust that he is working. We can trust that, that he's got this thing under control, that, that he will bring about his good will. Father, thank you uh, again that we can come to the God who hears, that when we pray, it, it isn't just out there to some mystical being. We pray to the God who created us, and we know that you hear our prayers, and we can come to you confidently, knowing that you will cause all things to work together for good. And I pray that this morning, as we are opening your word, that you would help us to hear your voice. I pray that you would 
work in our hearts. Help us to not just hear your word, but then apply what you have spoken to each one of us this morning. For your glory and for our benefit, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be reading from Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to begin with verse 1 as we're continuing in our teaching series on the parables. Today I have entitled my message, The Shameless Neighbors. And hopefully by the end of this message you'll understand why it's shameless neighbors. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 11 says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now this morning, as we said already, we're going to be teaching on the the topic of prayer. And you know, if, if you want to make somebody feel really guilty, if you want to make somebody that's a, a disciple of Jesus feel guilty, you know what? You need to ask them one question. How's your prayer life going right now? Um, I think that we would all agree that, that prayer, along with biblical intake, it's one of the most important spiritual disciplines that we should be in, in, engaging in in the Christian life. We all know that. I don't think anyone in this room would disagree with that. We know that we ought to be engaging in prayer, but yet, if we're honest, if we're honest, we all would have to say, you know, I could actually grow in prayer, myself included. Prayer is one of those things that that we all can grow in. And, you know, since we should be praying, and we all know that, the question I have is, why don't we? Have you ever thought about that? Why don't we do that which is most important? Well, there's a few few reasons that I want to give, reasons that I've had in my own life. Number one, it might be that you're too busy. Have you ever been so busy in life you have scheduled, overcommitted yourself, scheduled yourself to where you have no margin in life? You don't have time, literally, to be still before the Lord and pray. Secondly, it could be that you're in a difficult season in life, not, on your, not because of, of bad decisions you made. It, it could be that you just had a baby, or you are physically sick, or maybe you're giving physical care for someone around the clock. You're in a season where you're literally drained. You don't have the energy to sit down before the Lord and be still, because you can't focus your mind, literally, because you're so exhausted. It also could be because you're ashamed or you're afraid. Now, you're ashamed because you're living a certain lifestyle that you know that God isn't pleased with, so you're ashamed to come to Him. And you're also afraid to come to Him because maybe, uh, maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship or you're making unwise decisions, and you know if you come to the Lord, He's going to say, hey, we need to change this. And at, at, at this moment in your life, you're just not willing to change, so, so you're afraid to come to him, and you're ashamed. It also could be because praying is hard work. Have you ever noticed that, that it is hard to pray? The minute I get on my knees, I've got an, an hour to pray, I've, got, I've cut out the time, and I get on my knees, and then I'm easily distracted. For some reason, when I get on my knees and start praying, I remember all those things that I need to get done things that I wouldn't do otherwise, but suddenly they're interesting to me, like cleaning my room, doing laundry, doing my taxes, paying bills. Mowing the lawn looks good, 
when I'm praying. It's, it's hard. It's hard to stay in a spirit of prayer before the Lord. And the last one that I want to bring is, is uh, it might sound strange, but it's because we don't pray because we know that God is sovereign. Now, you might say, well, why would that keep us from praying? Well, this is an unhealthy view of what I'm talking about here of God's sovereignty, because we know that God uh, is all-powerful and that he reigns over everything and that there's, there's no plan that he has that will not uh, go through. There's, none of his plans will be thwarted. And so we can say to ourselves, it's going to happen anyway. So it really doesn't matter if I pray. My prayers really don't make a, a difference. They, they won't change anything. So, I mean, why do I need to pray? I've made it this far so, uh, so far and things have been pretty good. Why pray? And, you know, that is a great question. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? Well, I could give you several, you know, reasons why we should pray because it changes us when we pray. It changes us. And it does, God does use our prayers to change the situations that, that are in life. We're going to get to that in a minute. But when we're asking the, the question, why should we pray? The number one reason that we should pray, I've already, I've already read it. It's found in verse 1 where it says, Jesus was praying. Have you ever thought about that, that Jesus prayed? Why would the Son of God need to pray? I mean, isn't he God? Well, well, he is God. But this is one of the clearest examples in Scripture that show us that while Jesus is fully God, he is also fully man. And while he was on earth in his, uh, in his humanity, he lived dependent upon God the Father he gained strength, he gained guidance through the discipline of prayer. So why should we pray? We should pray because Jesus prayed. He was a man of prayer. Think about it. At his baptism, it says that he was, while he was praying, the Holy Spirit came down upon him. Scripture also teaches that Jesus often would go away to lonely places to pray. Um, before he selected his 12 disciples, he didn't just, I know who to choose. What did he do? It says that he went up on a mountain, and all night he prayed to God. At the transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain, what for? To pray. And it says that while he was praying, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were as white as light. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays for future disciples. He prays for us, those who will come to him because of the message. He prayed for us on the night of his arrest. And on the night of his arrest, while he was in the garden, he prayed so fervently that drops of blood came from his forehead and dropped to the ground. Jesus continued to pray even on the cross, even to his last breath. Jesus was a man of prayer. And if we're going to follow him, if we're going to follow his example, then church, we need to grow as men and women in the discipline of prayer. And, I, and I'm, this morning, I'm not going to try to beat our church down, beat you down, make you feel guilty. I hope that this message will be an encouragement because this, this uh, verse 1 is, is an extremely uh, encouraging uh, verse to me because look, it says, one of his disciples 
said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What, what's that disciple saying? I mean, he's Jesus' disciple, and he's saying, I've been with you, and I don't know how to pray. It's encouraging to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, it shows me that prayer did not come natural to the disciples. They were not born prayers, okay? Secondly, it shows like anything in this life, we need to be taught how to pray. And that means that we all, everyone in this room, have room to grow in prayer. You will never arrive as a prayer, but that doesn't mean we need to stay where we're at. We should always be growing in our pursuit of praying. So the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And in verse two, what does Jesus say? He said to them, when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray, he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. What Jesus is doing here is he's given us an example that we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, we did a, a, a topical a series on this right before, in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And we went through, through, uh, through this in extensive uh, amount of time on this prayer. So we're not going to spend that time this morning going through uh, that extensively. But what I want to point out here is that this is a, it's not a prayer that's to be, uh, that, that's to be a, a mindless mantra that's to be chanted or that's to be, you know, said right before you go out into the big game, you know, to win the game. Uh, this, is, this is meant to be a model. It's, it's meant to be a pattern uh, or an outline that we can use as we're praying. We fill in all the gaps as we're praying, but it's meant to, it has five uh, sections. It's meant to have five sections that will help us to pray. And I'm gonna go through those five sections briefly this morning. The first section is about God's person. When you're praying, pray uh, for God's, about God's purpose, uh, person. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus says, when you're praying, Address him as, as father. And now for those of us in the room who say, well, you know, that's really hard. I didn't have a good father. I didn't have a perfect father. Well, none of us did. None of us had a perfect father, but you, you have a father that you just can't relate to as, as being God. Well, I want you to picture who you know your father should have been. Um, he should have been present. He should have been a protector. He should have been a provider, a caregiver, he should have been loving. He should have been firm at times. Um, he also should have been giving instruction. It, it's someone that, that you wish that you could crawl up in their lap, let them read you a story when you were little, and then you fall asleep. But they're not a grandfather. They're not a pushover. Uh, they're someone that you would have a, a healthy fear and a respect for. Gentlemen, gentlemen, this is the guy that you wish you could be. Ladies, this is the guy, the man that you wish you had married if he existed. He died, He did, but he died on the cross and he went, went to heaven. Like I said, there's no perfect fathers. But imagine that person. He says, address that person. Address God as father. He says, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed. How many, just a raise of hands, how many of you guys use that word on a regular basis? Hallowed. Hallowed. 
I, I never use that, that word, but it's an archaic verb that means to keep holy or to set apart. To keep holy or to set apart. So we're saying, Father, may your name, who you are, the very person that you really are, may it be kept holy and may it be set apart. May your name be esteemed, may it be revered, may it be treasured above, above all other names. So our prayers need to be God-centered. They need to be God-glorifying. Jesus says, pray about, number one, God's person. Secondly, he says, pray about God's plan. He says, your kingdom come. You know, just as God's plans go unchallenged in heaven, Jesus teaches us to ask that it will be also that way here on earth, that his plans will be accomplished on earth. And as we teach, as the scriptures teach, one day Jesus is coming back to this earth to set up his kingdom. When he does, he will rule with no opposition. We are to pray for this, but also while we are waiting, we are to pray that his kingdom would come and conquer us in our hearts. We need to pray that, that Jesus would rule in our hearts, that there would be no opposition to his plans in our hearts, that he would rule in us, that he would conquer, Jesus, conquer anything in me, conquer anything in me that is opposed to your good and perfect plans. Jesus, may I be a vessel that you use to bring your kingdom through. We need to pray that for ourselves we need to pray that for our church. May your kingdom reign in our church as we wait for you to bring back the kingdom on the earth. So we need to pray about God's person. We need to pray about God's plan. And number three, we need to pray about God's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. We are earthly creatures, aren't we? And so we have earthly needs. And so Jesus says, ask God for them. Come to God and ask him for your physical needs to be met. Um, I often, now I often don't know what to ask God for. And so I will pray, Lord, I don't know what I need today to get through today. So I ask that you would give me whatever it is that I need today to glorify your name and to accomplish your plan. Pray about his person. Pray about his plan. Pray about his provision. Number four, he says, pray about God's pardon. Verse four says, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is a reminder again that there is only one God who is holy and perfect, and we are not. That, that we sin. This is the opportunity for us when we're coming before the Lord and we're praying, we get to this section, we can spend time, Lord, show me where I have sinned if I'm not aware of it. And then we confess it. Lord, I agree with you that that is sin. And then we receive his, forgive, his forgiveness, his pardon. And then what do we do? We extend it to those who are in our lives. So we pray for God's person, we pray for God's plan, we pray for God's provision, we pray for God's pardon, and then we pray for God's, what do you think? Oh, it's already up there, protection. We pray for God's 
protection and lead us not into temptation. Listen, we are, we're sheep. We're not lions, you know, we're not ferocious. We're sheep that need to be led and protected by the good shepherd. And you know, there's three enemies in this world that we have to be aware of. Number one is Satan, Satan and the demons. We don't have to, if we're in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of them. If we're outside of Christ, we do. But Jesus crushed Satan at the cross. When he rose from the dead, he destroyed the work of Satan. But apart from Christ, we are no match for Satan. Secondly, there's the world that we live in. That's our second enemy, the world that we live in, that's trying to convince you to live for now. Look at what the kingdom you can build right here, right now. You don't have to wait for the kingdom of heaven. It's right here. Build your kingdom now. And the third one is yourself, your flesh. There's something in, in us all that says, make everything about you. You're the king. You're the queen. Make sure you lift up your name. Those are the enemies that we have to fight against as we are seeking to, ha- to honor God's name and, and to bring about his kingdom. And so we need to pray, Lord, protect me from all three of these enemies that I may not be led astray from you. Now, this is just a general overview of the pattern of prayer that Jesus gives his disciples to help us to grow in prayer. He gives us those five, uh, car- uh, those five um, sections. And then he goes on to tell a parable. And that's the parable that we're going to get into this morning. In verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, this is one of those stories that's, that's in the Bible that we can kind of relate to, but not, not really. Um, um, not so much in the U.S. Uh, if somebody in, in the ancient world were to come in the middle of the, of the night, they would often travel at night to avoid the heat. But if they came to their friend's house unexpectedly in the middle of the night, hospitality was a huge thing back then and uh, in, in those cultures. And it would be expected of that host to provide some type of relief, food and shelter and, and drink for them. And, and not to do so, if you didn't do that, it would be so humiliating. You would lose face. And, and we see this in John chapter 2, don't we? Remember when Mary comes to Jesus in John chapter 2 and says, Hey, Jesus, they have run out of wine. Do something about it. And what does Jesus do? He reveals his glory by turning the water to wine. He saves the day to help keep the host from being humiliated. And listen, if you called me in the middle of the night at midnight and I saw the phone call, I would answer it, okay, Lord willing. I would answer it because I would say, this has got to be really important. You would not call me if it wasn't important. And, it, and you said, and it, let's say it's Bill Harris. Hey, James, uh, can I borrow some bread? And I, I would say to him, you know, have you lost your mind? I would wonder, I would question his sanity. I would just say, why don't you just go down to the 24-7 Walmart 
and, and buy you some bread. Is that, does Walmart still stay open 24 hours? We don't know. Okay, we're not up at midnight getting bread, right? To me, it's strange, isn't it? That someone would come in the middle of the night and ask for bread. But Jesus' listeners actually would have been empathizing with this host. Um, they would, could feel the humiliation that he could have had if he doesn't get this bread. And back then, they didn't have 24-7 uh, convenience stores down the road, but they did have friends that lived nearby, close to one another. And so that word friend, uh, it's philos in the Greek, and it, it means that uh, it's more than just an acquaintance. It's someone that, that you have brotherly affection for. You're, you're pretty close to that person. Uh, and you know, there's a difference between an acquaintance and a close friend, isn't there? An acquaintance, have you ever noticed that with an acquaintance, you're, you're hesitant, you're polite, you know, I'm so sorry to bother you with this request here, but, you know, and if you, if you need to say no, I get it, you know, um, but I had somebody come in and, can you share some of your bread? Oh, you can't? Okay, that's okay. Now, with a friend, you're like, dude, you're getting up. Open the door. I'm in a pickle and I need some bread right now. You don't have a choice. You're going to get up and get this for me. In a relationship like that, you, you, don't, you don't have to build bridges, do you? It's, it's, it's solid. It's, it's what our families are like, right? And really close friends where, you, where we talk just straight out to one another. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be polite and we shouldn't care, but we can talk in a different manner when we know that the relationship is secure with one another. That's what's going on, it seems like, in this passage. Verse 7 says, and, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I, I cannot get up and give you anything. I think he's not saying that out loud. I think he's saying that to himself. He doesn't want to get up. He doesn't want to get out of bed and, and do this for his friend. He's going to, as we see later on, he's going to do this. That, that's what he's feeling. And you might be saying, well, what does that mean that, that, he, uh, that the children are in bed with him? Well, I think this is, Jesus is talking about a peasant family here, a one-bedroom house, the kitchen, everything's in one room, and everybody would either sleep in the same uh, bed or in the same area. And, and this guy is, is asleep, and just like any of us, when you're awakened, you don't want to get up. But the Jews that were listening to this parable, they would have been appalled if that man did not get up out of his bed and help his friend because of hospitality. If, if that man, it's, it, the reason he didn't want to get up is because he didn't wake up, want to wake up his kids. That would not fly. It would, it would kind of be like um, Caleb and Jenna. Y'all know that Caleb and Jenna had their baby safely. Praise God. But let's just imagine Caleb's living next door to me and he comes to me in the middle of the night and says, hey, they're still pregnant. Hey, Jenna just went into labor and my car won't start. Will you give me your keys and let me borrow your car? And I said, well, you know, my kids are in bed and uh, I left the keys in their room. I don't want to go in there and wake them up. You know, that I can't do that. That's but listen, uh, if you need anything else, just let me know. That would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? And if you found out about that, that would be shame upon me. This is the kind of feel I think that's going on here. Of course, this guy's going to get up. 
Verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, this is important, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, there are two ways that scholars interpret that verse right here, and it all hinges on those two words, the word his and the word impudence. Now, the word impudence means shameless. It's only used one time in the New Testament right here. It's, it means to, uh, shamelessness. But the question is, is who is the word his referring to in this verse? Is it referring to the host who needs bread, or is it referring to the friend who is in bed? Now, the, tra the traditional view interprets it as being the host, um, because the host the host comes boldly, he comes shamelessly, and he won't go away. And therefore, the friend finally gets up and gives him all he needs. Even though it doesn't say that he keeps knocking. Even though it says he asks one time, it doesn't say that he kept going on, like the, the widow to the judge in, in another parable. The persistent widow. And so what would be taught from the tr traditional view is that when you pray, be persistent, be shameless, don't give up because God is good and he wants to give good gifts to his, his neighbors, his friends. We are his friends. Now, the other view takes his as being the friend who's in bed. Now, um, if he stays in bed, as I've already said, if he stays in bed for a lame reason of not wanting uh, to wake up his children and because the door's locked. If that happened and the word spread throughout the community, throughout the village, he would forever be shamed. He would never, ever get over, he would not be, uh, he would ever, never get past that shame. So is it for his impudence, because he didn't want to be shamed for his good name to protect his name, that he gets up and he meets his friend's needs? I can see both of them. I lean actually towards the traditional one, but I can see how someone could have that second view. Either way, in this parable, both characters are seeking to avoid shame. As once again, Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. What he's saying here is this. Look, if a sleepy, grumpy, unwilling friend grants a friend a request in the middle of the night, how much more how much more will God, who is caring, who is loving, who is always willing, who never sleeps, how much more will he respond to the needs of those who pray? Then he goes on in verse 9, and he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now those words, those verbs, ask, seek, knock, they are in the present active imperative, which simply means that they are ongoing verbs, uh, ongoing actions. They never have an end. It's not like ask once. It's like ask, keep asking. Jesus is saying, I think he, what he's saying here is live a lifestyle of prayer. 
where you're always asking, where you're always seeking, where, where you're always knocking. Listen, Rich Life Church, that's what we want to be, a church that's always asking, that's always seeking, that's always knocking. I, I had the privilege of having uh, lunch with uh, some young people last week, and they came with a book full of questions, uh, questions like, hey, you know, did Jesus have to be a man? I mean, if he had been a woman, would that have been okay? What, could, he, could she have died for our sins? Uh, questions like, you know, if God knew that we were going to fall like Adam and Eve were going to fall, why did he create us? Should I have unbelieving friends? Questions like that. We want to be, a, and, and you know what? I didn't say, well, you know, you just need to have faith. You just need to believe. I said, no, let's talk about these things. We want to be a church. If we're truly seeking, if we're truly asking, if we're truly knocking, Jesus says, you're going to get answers. That's what he's uh, telling us to do. Pray, keep praying, keep asking. We want to be a church that, that seeks to know the truth and that seeks to know how to answer questions and to engage in, a, in an ever-changing culture. Our truth stays the same, but truth in our culture keeps going like this, doesn't it? We want to be able to proclaim the truth and know why we proclaim it. Jesus says, live a lifestyle of prayer. Keep praying. And yes, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He rules and his plans will come to pass. And we should pray. Because somehow, I don't know how, but somehow God has ordained prayer to be used to bring about his perfect plans, his perfect will. Um, as it's been said by a pastor, God doesn't need our prayers to act. But there are times he won't act without them. And so Jesus says, pray. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to seek. Don't be afraid to knock. Our prayers really matter. And God, he says, God loves to give to his children. Look what he says in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? I mean, think about that. If your son asked you for a fish and you gave him a rattlesnake, what would that say? What, what father would do that? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, look what Jesus says, who are evil. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Again, Jesus is he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying if earthly fathers who are evil, who are flawed, who are fallen, who are imperfect, if they know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? Notice He doesn't say good gifts. He says give what? the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. Now, why does he switch it up here? Why does he say, give the Holy Spirit? Because, you know, if you're a true believer, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, if you're a tr true child of God, you put your faith in Jesus, then when you became a believer, God gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. So this is not talking about a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think what Jesus is saying here is that this is a, a humble acknowledgement coming before God that you and I, apart from the Holy Spirit, don't know what we should pray for on our own. 
Uh, we don't know what's best for us. We don't know what's good. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. Romans 8.26, Paul, Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. Listen, if you want to grow in prayer, the first thing is to realize you can't do it on your own. Truly grow in prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. So as we're praying, the first thing we need to ask is, Lord, as I'm praying, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me to pray. Help me to learn how to pray because because we do not know what to ask for. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know what we need. I, I was thinking about this this week, and I'm like, how much energy in life have I wasted on pursuits, seeking things, uh, asking for things, knocking on the door of things that the Holy Spirit never led me to? But I was trying to make it on my own. Maybe even grow in prayer, apart from saying, Holy Spirit, I cannot grow in prayer apart from you helping me in this. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God and through fellowship with one another, reveals the will of God for us. And He helps us to know how to pray so that we can glorify God. And so Jesus is saying, you can't do this on your own. And so when you pray, ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Pray because God always answers prayers. Did you hear that? God always answers our prayers, always, in four different ways. Number one, he could say yes. Don't you love it when you ask for something? He's like, yes, and immediately he says yes. It could be that he says, yes, but wait. Um, I'm going to give you this or that, but you're not ready yet for it. You might need to pay off some debt and get your finances right and show me that that you can steward money before I give you this house or whatever the thing is that you're asking him for, or a spouse. You're not ready yet. I'm going to give it to you, but wait. The other one could be, um, I've got something better. I'm going to give you something different than what you're asking for. Or number four, and often this is the one that we, in the moment, don't like. Have you ever gone to your parent and asked for something, and they said no. And in the moment, you're like, oh. but now that you're an adult, you're like, I understand why they said no to that. There's times that God as our Father says you don't know what you want or what you need. So I'm going to have to say no to that. The point is we can trust God. We can trust God knowing that he will do what is best for us. Now, in closing, I've got two Closing applications, there are questions as you are seeking to discern, is this something that you should be asking God for? Is this something that you should be praying for? I've got two questions that, that are helpful to ask. So we need to, number one, ask, will it glorify God? Number two, is it good for you and is it good for others? Will it, will it grow you in your love for one another and, and in your love for God? There's a, there's a lot of decisions that we have to make in life, aren't there? And God has said, I'm not requiring you to make them on your own. But you got to trust me. you got to trust me that if you'll come to me, if you'll ask, if you'll seek, if you'll knock, I will 
answer you. The point is this. We all have dreams. We all have desires. We all have needs. And Jesus says, so like that desperate host who confidently goes to his friend at night, and like children who go to their earthly fathers to meet their needs, Jesus says, go directly, go confidently, go persistently to the Father, knowing that he gladly gives to his children everything that is for our good and his glory. If only we will pray. Amen? Amen. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray.